This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I thought about having you stand for five or ten minutes, but decided I'd let you sit down. So, we'll chalk that up to jet lag. You know, in India, they like to have services for two or three hours, so you just stand for five or ten minutes at a time because you're just preparing yourself for a nice long haul. And in honor of that, we're actually going to go for three hours today. So I figured you'd be pretty excited about that. Yeah. Decided I would take us through the rest of our sermon series today. That seemed like that was a good plan. Uh, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking because this is a fun place. And my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited that you chose to be with us this morning. You really are in for a treat. Ron talked about it a little bit. We have an incredible morning for you this morning. We got to worship God together, and we're going to hear a message on how we can trust God's voice when he speaks. And then we're going to take communion, and we are going to celebrate something incredible. We are going to celebrate baptism. And I think it's really powerful in this series, because this series is all about knowing and doing God's will. And there are some of you here this morning who you've come into this place at some point, or you've come into some other church, and God captured you. God just grabbed your heart, he grabbed your mind, he grabbed your imagination, he began to transform your life, and you gave yourself over to him. You said, God, I'm here. Would you come and would you guide me? Would you lead me? And for some of you, that next step in obeying God's path and following God's path is to be baptized. Because if you've come into a relationship with him and you've never been baptized, that is your next step. Last week we learned that one of the keys to hearing God's voice more and more is that we follow when God leads. And one of the great things that God has said to do is identify with me in baptism. Go into the water, be buried, which represents that you are dying to yourself, to your old way of living, and be raised up with me to this new life, this new way of being, this new way of experiencing everything. And some of you are going to do that, and we are going to worship with you and celebrate with you, and it's going to be absolutely incredible. I talked with you last week about how my life was turned upside down, was changed completely last Christmas when my parents bought me my very first GPS. It was really powerful. I told you I love to drive everywhere except for San Francisco. And so that was the one time that Maria got to drive. But now that I have my GPS, that wonderful, soothing, soft voice, she just guides me through San Francisco. No problem. She always gets me to the right destination, and I love it. One thing I found this week, though, is that actually there are multiple voices that you can download for your GPS. Did you know this? It's not just a soft, soothing voice. There are other voices. And so I downloaded a few voices so we could listen to them together. And you can just go ahead and shout it out who the voice is after uh, the clip is over. But tell me, tell me if you've been guided by these voices before. Go ahead and let's play that first clip. Turn around when possible. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Then take the third left. Sense your way. Who is that? Do we know who that is? It's Darth Vader. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. How about this voice? This might be one that guides your life. How about this Woo-hoo! one? You have reached your destination, and you can hold your head up high because you are a genius. Homer Simpson. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this one might be a little harder for some of you, but tell me if you know who this voice is. Depart. Come on, man. Let's get this thing cranked up. Church on the move. In 100 yards, go around the roundabout. Round and round we go. You know, fifth exit. Who is that? Snoop Dogg. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have some fans of the LBC. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So there are a ton of different voices that we can follow, but I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick with my soft, soothing, 
kind voice that tells me, you know what, you might be going the wrong direction, but darn it, I like you, and I want you to turn around and go the right direction. She's just really nice, and she is a voice that I can trust. She really is. And that's important because, you know, uh, we're talking about finding, knowing, and doing God's will, but there's something in there that says we can actually know what God wants. We can hear God's voice, and we can trust it when he speaks. It presupposes that God actually shows his will to us. And the reason why we believe that is, is because there are a number of verses that tell us that, not the least of which is James 1.5, which is our key verse for the series. So go ahead, if you have your programs, you can pull out your teaching notes, and you can follow along and take notes as we go. But James 1.5 says this, Does any of you lack wisdom? You should ask God. Does any of you have a question about which way to go today, this week, this month? Do you have questions about your family or your finances or your marriage? about work, about your calling? Do you have questions? Do you lack wisdom? You should ask God who gives generously to all people without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The truth is that just like GPS has a number of voices that you can listen to, life is full of voices. Some are more trustworthy, some are less trustworthy, but we have all sorts of voices fighting for our attention. Our parents' voice, our spouse's voice, our kids' voice. Our boss's voice, our co-workers' voices. TV has voices that are fighting for our attention, or billboards, or banners, radio. They all have voices that are fighting for our attention. This morning, I want to talk about how we can trust that the voice we're hearing is God's voice that's guiding us. How we can be sure that we're following His path, that we know His will, and that we're actually living in it. But before we do that, I actually want to talk for a few minutes about God's will. Because when we think about God's will, I think most of us picture a big river that is God's will, that if we follow it, it takes us to the ocean of heaven, if you will. But, but the truth is, God's will actually has, we'll call them five different streams that lead into the river that we call God's overarching will, or God's big picture will. So I want to take you through those five streams, because when we talk about God's will, we think there's mostly just one, and it's one of these five streams, and we're going to spend most of our time talking about that this morning. But the truth is, there are all sorts of different pieces that come together to put together God's will. So you're going to want to hold on to your hats for a few minutes. We're going to get a little intellectual. This is kind of going to be a seminary, two weeks of a seminary class, kind of roll down into the next 10 minutes. So, so get ready. Bear with me. Uh, but really, it will help us, I think, as we continue our discussion of this series of what it means to know and follow God's will. So five different streams of God's will. The first one is God's decreed will. And this is God's eternally designed plan. This is the things that God has set in motion that will never change. And under each of these, I gave some scripture examples that you can go back and look at at home. But some examples of God's decree will are things like creation. There was nothing, and the Bible says that God spoke something beautiful into the nothingness, and creation began. The world began to go into motion. That's something that God did. It's something that was part of his will. He designed it. It can never be changed. Or how about God's work at salvation? That's part of God's decreed will. From the beginning, God knew that he would save us through Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection to break the power from death. That has been done. Nothing can change that. The question is, do we choose to accept it? Do we choose to live in the redeeming work or the healing work of Jesus and give our lives to God? Or do we choose to walk away from it? But whether we choose to accept it or walk away from it doesn't change that it's part of God's decreed will. It has happened and nothing can change it. The second stream is God's perceptive will. This is God's insight uh, from the Bible, from his word. 
I've talked with, I I spent six years doing college ministry, and so I just want to frame it around that. Over the course of six years, I would talk to all sorts of college students in their early 20s, and they had all sorts of ideas about what God was saying to them. Some were right on, and I loved their passion and their vision. Some of them uh, weren't so right on. I remember someone coming to me once and saying, you know what, Uh, I just love this girl. She's fantastic, and I think we're going to get married, but we've decided that after college, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move in together, and and here's why. Uh, We think that it'll save us money, We'll get to know each other better. Uh, we will see if we, you know, work together. And I won't be any more graphic than that. Uh, this was someone who was new in the faith, so I didn't mind talking to their pastor about this kind of stuff. And, and they said, you know what? And I've prayed about it, and, and I think God's saying that he's fine with it. He's good with it. He likes the idea. And I looked at him. I said, no, stop. Time out. Time out. God does not like that idea. And I can tell you for a fact that God doesn't like that idea because the Bible says that you should not be having sex before you get married. So moving in together, even though it may save money, okay, get a roommate. Don't move in with your girlfriend or boyfriend. It's not part of God's uh, perceptive will. God's perceptive will would tell us, and it's, just, it's not just that. There are hundreds of things that God tells us in the Bible. It says, do this, don't do that. You don't need to pray into it. You know my will. I've revealed it through uh, the scripture. That's God's perceptive will. The third is God's preferential will. These are the things that we know bring God pleasure. Have you ever read through the scripture and realized that there are certain things that we can do that actually bring joy to God's heart, that bring him pleasure, that cause God to celebrate? And then there are certain things that we can do that grieve God. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being grieved when we are in uh, disunity or disagreement with each other, when we have fighting within the church, that it grieves the Spirit of God. God's preferential will is taking the things of the Bible that might not be specifically spoken into and asking, would this thing bring God pleasure— Or would it bring God pain and grief? For example, we talked about God's work in salvation, that that Jesus actually made a way for us all to come back to God. We know that it's God's preferential will that all people would come into a relationship with him, that all people would be drawn into an intimate relationship where God is guiding and leading them. That brings God pleasure. And it grieves God when people say, no, I don't want that. I don't accept it. I don't believe. I don't trust. I'm not going to follow you. And so you could... Ask the question to me, you know what, uh, Kevin, I've got this friend, and I've been thinking about inviting them to church. Her name is Julie, and we've become really good friends, and I think she's really close to God. But I was praying about it, and I don't know if I should invite them to church or not, because the Bible doesn't say you should invite Julie to church. And so I'm a little stuck here, Kevin. What should I do? I would say you should look at God's uh, preferential will, and you should ask, does God want your friend Julie, in a general sense, to come to a relationship with him? And you could say yes. Well, then you know it's God's will for you to invite them to church. You don't have to wonder about that. If you invite them, it will bring joy to God's heart. Does that make sense? All right, we're flying through. You guys are very smart. Uh, You you get an A+. The fourth one is God's permissive will. And these are the things that uh, God allows to happen even though they're going to cause pain, even though it's sin. So when you see things like rape or murder, uh, things that are just devastating and horrible, This is God's permissive will. He doesn't want it for you. He knows it's just going to cause pain to you and to anyone that comes in contact with this thing. And yet he allows it to happen because if God didn't allow it to happen, the only way he could do that would be to take away your free will, to stop you from having free will in that moment. And if he took away your free will, he would take away your capacity to love. 
And so God permits certain sins to happen. He allows things to happen because he wants to give you the chance to choose him and to follow him. And he doesn't want to limit your free will. That's God's permissive will. It's everything from big sins to what we would say are, are maybe smaller sins. And I know uh, those of you who are Bible scholars will say there's no such thing as a small sin. Okay, I get that. But there are sins that affect more people on earth than other sins. A white lie may not affect as many people as a rape or a murder. And so whether it's a big sin or a a small sin, it's God's permissive will. God is allowing it to happen because his goal, his hope, is that in giving you free will, you'll turn to him. And then the fifth one, and this is the one we're going to spend most of our time on this morning, is God's directive will. And this is God's personal guidance. When we think about God's will, most of us think about this type of God's will. God's personal guidance in my life. God's leading in my life. And we see pictures of this all over the New Testament. We see people who come to crossroads in their lives. Maybe it's a spiritual crossroads or a physical crossroads, and they just don't know which way to go. And they ask God, and sometimes the Bible says that God nudges them in a certain direction, or he calls them to a certain place, or he leads them to do a certain thing. That is uh, God's directive will. It's his personal guidance into our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we know if God is giving us directive will? How can we trust that that's God's voice and not my voice or not the radio or not Snoop Dogg? We, we, you know, we want to ask these kind of really deep questions this morning. There's a story in the book of First Kings about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was a man who had extreme passion. He was extremely gifted. He gave everything for God. All he wanted to do was follow God and honor God. But by the time we get to 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is at the end of his rope. He says to God, he cries out, God, the nation has abandoned you. They have deserted and destroyed your places of worship. They've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. At this point, Elijah is alone. He's abandoned. He's confused. and He needs God to speak into his life. He says, God, I understand that the rest of the world may turn their back on you, but even your people have turned their back on you, and your people are trying to kill me. And in that moment, when he's waiting for God's voice, the Bible says an angel appeared to him and said, go to a certain mountain, and at that mountain, you will hear from God. And Elijah trusts it, so he begins to walk, and he walks for 40 days and 40 nights till he gets to a certain mountain. And God says, go to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to speak to you there. And so he goes and he stands on the top of this mountain and all of a sudden a hurricane force wind comes up and it's blowing like crazy. And he says, for sure, this is God. God is going to speak to me through this incredible wind. But the Bible says God wasn't there. And then an earthquake comes and and shatters the earth around him and shakes everything. And Elijah says, this must be God. God is shaking the earth. He's opening up earth just to speak to me. But the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake. And then a fire comes and begins to burn everything. And he thinks, this must be God getting my attention. The fire has come. The Bible says God wasn't in the fire either. And then after the fire, the scripture says there was a soft breeze, or it's translated a gentle whisper. And in the whisper, God spoke. Now I want to be clear. There are certain times when God shouts when he puts up big pictures and billboards, and that's how we know his will, because he is just shouting it. It's undeniable. I probably had three, I was thinking back over this, three of those types of experiences in my life where God has just shouted something so clearly that I could not deny that it was his voice. But more often than not, God whispers. 
God nudges us in a direction. God leads us in a certain way. It's a soft call in our spirit that says we should go this direction and not that direction. It's the Holy Spirit taking something that we might have read in our Bible three weeks ago and saying, that was for you. Follow that today. But he's not going to yell to us. And so we have to figure out, how can I know that it's God whispering? Because all these other voices are yelling and screaming and trying to get my attention. And more often than not, God is just whispering. So I want to give you four ways that you can know that God has spoken and you can trust him in that. Now, this isn't uh, science. If you do these four things, I can't tell you unequivocally 100%, you will know that it's God's voice. But if you do these four things, if you put them into practice, it will help you distinguish God's voice from all the other voices. In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. That's his promise. My sheep will hear my voice. Those who follow me will hear my voice. He says, I know them and and they follow me. So as we go into this morning, I want you to think of a circumstance in your life right now where you could use some guidance. It may be something big. It may be something around your career, your finances, or your family, or your calling. It could be a huge decision. It may be something small where you just want God to lead you. I want you just to take about 10 seconds and think about what's something that I could use God's guidance in because I want you to have some framework as we continue on this morning. Do you have an area where you could use God's guidance, where you could use his wisdom? All right, if you personalize these next four steps, if you take them home and put them into practice, I believe that God will confirm whether or not he's speaking to you in this area. And the first thing you want to do is you want to confirm that it's God's voice that you're hearing. What I mean by that is you want to do a motives check. I don't know about you, but sometimes I mix up what I really want for God's voice. Have you ever had that? And I really, really want something, and so I pray about it because I really want it. And then after long enough, I feel like, okay, God must just want it for me too. So that's just it. He hasn't told me no necessarily, so it must just be that God wants it too. And I say, you know what? This must be God's voice. I have heard over and over again people say, I really want this thing, and God just told me I should go for it. Proverbs gives us a warning about that type of following God. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that appears right. The things we really want are desires that appear right, but in the end, they lead to death. That's a strong warning. Sometimes it's death of a relationship because uh, we feel like, I really, you know, I've been married for, not me, this is an example. I just want to be very clear about that. I've been married for 10 years and my life has become routine and my wife has become normal to me. And so I see someone else that I really like and I, I begin to meditate on them and focus on them and all of a sudden I feel like God is telling me to go have an affair. That would, God would never do that. And it destroys your life because there's something that you think you want And so you just say, God must want it too, and it can destroy lives. It can just destroy finances. Uh, I don't know how many people have gotten in this situation, and I don't want to cast stones if you had, but you put together a budget, and then you see something you really like that's outside of that budget, and you just go for it. Because if you really want it, God must really want it for you. And all of a sudden, your finances are a mess, and you're trying to get it under control, but you don't know what to do. I want to be clear that wanting something badly does not necessarily mean that it's not from God. The Bible says that God will give us the desires of our hearts if they're in line with him. But wanting something badly also doesn't mean that it is from God. So we need to do a motives check. We need to discern. And and I want to review last week. How do we confirm it? Well, the Bible. 
The Bible tells us if it's God's will. God will never tell us to do something that is not in the Bible, which is why it's so important to get really into your Bible, to read your Bible, to know what God says. If you didn't listen to last week's message, you need to go back and listen to it on the podcast because we're talking about something called the New Testament challenge that we're going to be laying out in the fall. It's going to be incredible. So make sure you go back and listen to that. But the Bible will never tell you to do something or God will never tell you to do something that the Bible says not to do. Uh, last week I used the example, um, if you feel like God's telling you to kill your pastor, he's not because it's not in the Bible. And Maria said, don't use that example again, so I won't use that example again. <laughs> but I already, I already talked about like, excessive debt. God does not want you to go into excessive debt. So whether you feel like he does or not, whether you feel like he's calling you to buy a house that's $100,000 over your budget or not, God does not want you to go into excessive debt. The Bible's clear about that. It says the borrower is a slave to the lender. He doesn't want slavery for you. He wants freedom for you. So, Scripture, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us to truth. He will confirm the things of God. He will lead us to the right path. Prayer, which is simply a conversation with God. We can confirm that God's speaking through prayer, and that it's not ourselves. Other Christians, I want to be clear. There's no such thing as a covert mission from God. If God is speaking to you, if he's nudging you in a certain direction, you do not need to keep it secret from other Christians. And if you feel like you do need to keep it secret from other people, there's a problem with that. Because God gave us community to help us confirm his voice. So if you feel like God's nudging you to do something, you need to go and ask some people that you trust, some people who are further along on the journey than you. Maybe it's your life group leader or people in your group or someone you serve with in ministry. Say, I feel like God is leading me to a certain thing. Can you confirm that? Does that sound like something God would be doing? Can you pray with me about that this week? And can you speak into my life? And the last one is circumstances. I know I've been bringing up the house thing a lot because it's fresh on my mind. Uh, You guys know that we have Maddie, who's two and a half, and we have Landon, he's four months old. And so we've been talking about, man, it'd be nice to get a three-bedroom place instead of a two-bedroom place. Especially last night when the kids kept each other up till 1030, and then he was up at 230. More and more, this is fresh in my mind. It'd be really nice to get a three-bedroom place. So Maria and I set a budget about eight months ago. This is how much we know we can spend on a house. And we began to look on Craigslist and look around and and put our feelers out. Friends, nothing has opened up. Absolutely nothing. Now some people would say, well then God must be telling you to increase your budget. I don't think God is calling us to do that. I think the circumstances are God's way of telling us, I have something different for you. Wait here. Be patient. Maybe he has something for us in our neighborhood that we're in right now. Maybe he has a different place that's going to open up in six months that he wants us to go to. But too often times we don't listen to our circumstances as a way from hearing from God. But circumstances can help us know if it's God's leading in our lives. So the first thing we need to do is do a motives check. The second thing we need to do is remember God's faithfulness in the past. And I say that because anytime God begins to nudge us, it's going to be a little bit nerve-wracking. God generally calls to God-sized things, and God-sized things, by definition, are bigger than us-sized things. And so they can bring a bit of trepidation, of fear, of anxiety. And the best way to trust that God will take care of us in the future is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Over and over again, we see this in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. God's people, the nation of Israel, would go out, they'd trust God, God would do something incredible, and then they'd walk on a little further, and something would come up, they'd go into a battle, and they'd freak out. And here's what the leaders would always say to them. Deuteronomy 7 is a great example. In Deuteronomy 7, the leaders say before they go into battle, do not be afraid of these people, but remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Don't be afraid. They had come out of Egypt. God had rescued them from slavery. Now they were going into a different battle, 
and they were terrified. They were trembling. And their leader said, don't be afraid. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. The God who was faithful then will be faithful now. And over and over again in the Bible, we see this. In the Old Testament, we see piles of rocks put together as a monument to God or an altar to God. We see wells that were dug as a remembrance of God's faithfulness in a certain place. So that when people passed by those landmarks, those monuments, they remembered that God was faithful there and he will be faithful here. We do this in our everyday lives, I think. Sometimes it's around God. Sometimes it's just around other things we want to remember. Uh, I brought a picture in uh, because I love my wife in an incredible way. So I brought a picture up of us. Look at those young people up there. Isn't that fun? In their mid-20s. Not a care in the world. That's my, that is my attractive wife. All right, I'm not going to get off track, but she really is great. I keep that picture in my office. I keep it right next to my computer. And here's why I do. Because I want to remember that day. That day that I said, you know what? For the rest of my life, no matter what, it's us. It's me and you together. And nothing's going to break that. And nothing's going to pull us apart. We've had hard days in the last five years. Who hasn't? But I keep that as a remembrance that we committed to be faithful for life. Now we're going to. I have another picture in my office that I want to show. Uh, and this is Maddie and I. My daughter, she loves Converse All-Stars and plaid shirts. She is a woman after my own heart. She came into me yesterday and said, Daddy, I'm wearing a cardigan. Can you match me? So we wore cardigans together yesterday. It was fantastic. I keep that picture in my office because it reminds me that God has called me to direct and guide my kids and that they will follow their parents' example. And so I look at that all the time. When I'm feeling frustrated or tired, when I don't want to go home and give my all to my kids, I keep that picture to remember God's faithfulness in giving me children and my call to them. Up here on the stage, we have a cross. We look at it every week. It is our reminder that God didn't spare his own son, but gave him as a sacrifice for us so that we could come into relationship with him. And that the God who didn't spare his own son will be faithful to guide us in life. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And he will speak to us. And so one thing I want you to consider doing is sometime in this next week, I want you to take a next step by making a list of some God's will moments in your life. Sometimes in the last five years where you sensed God speaking to you, God guiding you, God nudging you to do something, and then what happened? If you would do this, uh, just look over the last five years. If you haven't been a Christian for five years, uh, start about the time when you sensed God starting to call you to himself and then go from that place forward. Write these things down and then put them somewhere where you can see them. Because remembering God's faithfulness in the past is a key way to trust God with our future. And it will also help you get a sense of how God speaks to you, because God speaks to us differently. Was it a a sensing? Was it a a voice, like your voice as you began to pray? Was it a nudge to go somewhere? Was it something that came out of the Bible? How did God speak to you? As you begin to write these things down, it will help you trust that it's God who's speaking. And the third thing I want you to do is take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. I remember talking to a woman once who told me that once they, she graduated from college, she was going to go overseas and be an incredible missionary. She was going to call people to God by the thousands, and she was really excited about it. And I said, man, I'm so happy too. So we talked about it, and we prayed. And I said, okay, why don't we go to your, your roommates right now? Why don't we go invite them to church? She said, oh, no, I could never do that. That's terrifying. What if they say no? What if they don't want to come? And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? If you can't take this small step here, what makes you think you can go halfway around the world and have any different response. Sometimes we like to jump in. We hear God calling us to maybe change our vocation, and we say, you know what? I'm just going to quit my job today, and I'm just going to go for it. We take this huge step, 
without doing any research. God wants us to take small steps. I want you to think small step, not giant leap. So if you sense God calling you to change jobs, your first step is not to quit your job, especially if you have a family to take care of. God would not call you to do that. What God wants you to do is prayerfully consider what your passions are, what he's calling you to. And then start to make a resume of your skills. Oftentimes God leads us in areas of skills and development. Not always, but oftentimes. And then maybe put your resume out there. Take some interviews. And each step you're prayerfully considering what's God doing right here. Because the next thing you want to do is evaluate the experience. Evaluate the experience. Take a step of faith. And then ask the question, was it what I thought it would be? Was it better? Was it worse? Was it easier? Was it harder? And most importantly, did I sense God in that step? And then repeat the process over and over again. Here's the beauty of small steps. If you take a small misstep, you can easily get back on course. If you take a giant leap in the wrong direction, you're in a lot of trouble. So God wants us to take small steps when we think we're hearing from him. And then evaluate it. See what God's saying. See what God's doing. And the last thing is to stay focused on our relationship with God not the end result. God's not a formula. God's not a plan. God is a creator. He's a lover of your, uh, every part of who you are. He's someone who wants to be in relationship with you. And so you can't take these other three things and say, okay, I've done these three steps. Now, God, you have to speak to me. It's all about a personal, intimate relationship with him where you would say, I am sold out completely for you, God. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's a promise of scripture. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. As you draw near to God, you'll get to sense the ways he speaks to you. You'll be able to trust his voice better. I've realized in my five years of marriage that I'm learning how to understand the underlying cues that my wife gives me. When we first got married, I didn't know him and I got in trouble. Now I'm learning them. Anyone who's been married, you know what I'm talking about. A raised eyebrow tells you we shouldn't go in that direction, right? Maybe you don't want to go see Rocky Three for the fourth time. Maybe that's not your desire. The more you come into a relationship with your spouse, the more you sense them speaking to you. You can uh, understand and identify when they are speaking. And that's what God wants for you. He wants an intimate, passionate relationship with you. We're going to go into a time of communion now. And I love that we've been doing these communion stations. I think it's really great because what we're doing is we are standing up from our seats and we are coming to the place where God is. We're signifying that. We're signifying I'm going to get out of my comfortable spot and I'm going to go. I know for some of you, communion uh, like this might be a little bit new or nerve-wracking because you're used to communion being passed through the aisles. But I want to tell you, no one is going to be looking at you. They're going to be freaking out about whether or not they should stand up. So they're not going to have any time to worry about you. If you are at a place where you don't want to take communion, you're not in a relationship with God, or uh, you just don't know about this whole thing, I want to invite you to stay in your seats, let people pass, and spend some time praying and asking God to reveal himself. The Bible says that God will reveal himself to us as we ask him, as we call on him. And I want to do communion because communion is such a great example that Jesus gives of hearing God's voice and following have you ever followed the story of Jesus and seen the ways that he heard God's voice? He knew his Bible. He went to God to pray. When he sensed God leading, he took a step of faith. He had community with him that he spoke to, that guided him. The night that he was betrayed, he went into a garden. He took his three closest friends and he said, pray with me because my soul is hurting. My soul is anguished. 
And the guys didn't do a great job, but that's another story for another day. But Jesus went on and he prayed, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Would you just lead me? And I want that to be our prayer as we continue this series together. God, would you speak to me? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? And if you do, I will do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want, and I'll do it whenever you want. So in a minute, we're going to take this cup of juice and this piece of bread, which Jesus says represents his blood, which is poured out for us, and his body, which is broken for us. And as we take it, I want to encourage you, in that act, give yourself to God completely. Say, God, I understand the sacrifice you made, and I give nothing less than my whole self back to you. So we're going to have communion, and then uh, Mark's going to come play for us for a few minutes, and then we're going to go into an incredible time of worship and baptisms. So I hope you're ready for it. I hope you're ready to worship God, because he is incredible, and he wants, and he deserves our praise. Would you join me as we pray, and then we'll take communion together. Holy Spirit, as we seek as a community to, to trust your voice, first to hear it, and then to know that it's you who's speaking. We really want to do that. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us this week? Would you help us remember your faithfulness in the past and the ways that you have spoken to us or guided us or led us? Would you help us to seek you in the future, to follow your promptings, to follow your leading? Lord, there are some of us here this morning who do not have a relationship with you. I pray that you would be guiding those folks even now into an intimate relationship with you. With something that was said today or something in the worship or as we experience baptisms, would you use that just to draw my friends in? I know they're here because they want to encounter you, so would you reveal yourself to them this morning? We're so thankful for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, that made a way for us to come into relationship with you so that we could hear your voice. Would you help us to be people who listen to your gentle whispers? Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.